baskets around. Well, today is Mother's Day, and uh, we, uh, I decided that we were going to take another little break from the Sermon on the Mount, and we were going to look at Mother's Day. And today we're going to look and be in um, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There are so many great mothers in, in the Bible, but this was one we just read about this week. If you're on the Bible reading, you, you just recently read Exodus um, chapter 2. And we've, we have just covered this. So I just, I just love the, the relevance and the pertinence of that we've, so many of us have just read this story. Now, I love this because, you know, initially I like movies and I like action movies, you know. And I, <clears throat> so when I was sitting there and I, I thought, man, there's this great plot for this action movie. And you have this action movie called Spy Mom. And have this, have the plot for Spy Mom, and they're in with Spy Mom. Of course, Spy Mom is, is having to deal with an evil dictator. And there's this evil dictator who has this horribly evil plan of, of killing these children. I mean, that's just, that's just horrible. I mean, that's, that's the worst thing an evil dictator could do. And so to be able to deal with this, Spy Mom then is there and she, she is pregnant in the middle of this. So she uses all her, her spy gear and all her stuff and she initially is able to just hide the baby and keep it, keep it under the radar. And of course you have all of the different scenes where, where Spy Mom has her, you know, little morphing bassinets, you know, that, that turn into different things. You know, she has all her cool tech gear, you know, she'll, you know, have her PDA that then turns into a bottle and she's able to handle stuff. She's got all the cool, Spy Mom's got all the latest gadgets. She's got all the cool stuff. And then, you know, Spy Mom is there and she has to do that. But then there is a problem about, this baby hits about three months old and it doesn't want to just lay around in a bassinet anymore. It wants to start moving around and crawling around and man, there's, there's a, there's a problem. We, we hit a, we hit this apex of our story where Spy Mom's got to protect her baby, but still keep it raised. And she hatches this incredible plan. And at this plan then shifts into every great spy movie has the build sequence. Anybody ever used to watch A-Team? I love the movie A-Team. And uh, I pity the fool. And uh, anyways, when I was a kid, I loved A-Team because they always had the build sequence. That and MacGyver. MacGyver has the build sequence where you just goes to, goes to music and you see them building stuff. Well, Spy Mom's got a great build sequence where she's got this stuff and she is making this state-of-the-art technological little box to be able to put her baby in. And she's got this great deal. You've got the music going. You see Spy Mom with her beautiful nails welding, you know. She's cooking dinner at the same time. She's doing all the mom stuff. And then she puts the baby into the container and brilliantly decides that she is going to set this and that the safest place for this baby is not in her home, but in the home of the evil dictator himself. And if somebody in the evil dictator's household will love this child, then this child will be safe. And she hatches this incredible plan. It's just brilliant beyond brilliant. Steps out, makes the container, makes the deal, places it strategically where she knows that it's where every great evil dictator's daughter hangs out, the spa. She puts it at the spa. 
right outside the spa, puts it there. Sure enough, the evil dictator's daughter comes along with all of her little henchmen or hench girls, and they see it sitting there, pull it in, it opens up, and there it is. There is the cute little baby crying. She feels sorry for it. We have the the music and we got the little touching sequence in our movie and it's so nice and she's sitting there and spy mom has spy daughter and spy daughter is hanging out over here in the in the edges watching just to make sure that that the plan goes accordingly and then just as soon as as the spy as the as the little baby comes up and the evil dictator's daughter is sitting there and falls in love with this then spy girl pops out and says, somebody's going to have to take care of this. You're going to need a nanny. Any great, any great dictator's daughter isn't going to do the dirty work herself. You know, you've got to have a nanny. You know, I know just the one. Would you like me to go get her? And spy daughter goes and gets spy mom. And spy mom gets in safety to raise up her, the, the very own child under the protection and provision and she even works where she gets bonuses kicked back where she gets paid to do this gig and protect it and the whole time under the evil dictator's nose the this little baby that's eventually going to break everybody loose and carry them out of that and carry them out of the the slavery and the the stuff of the evil dictator it's being raised up right there under the evil dictator's nose every bit of clothes is paid for by the evil dictator's wallet every little thing is taken care of and he's raised up like a prince under this evil dictator wouldn't that be a great movie? I think it'd be a good movie makes a good ten verses too whenever we look at Exodus chapter 2 if you're not familiar with the story of Moses and his mama that is exactly what happened you can't get any more dramatic of a mama story than Moses' mother, whose name was Jochebed. And her name means Yahweh is glory. God is glory. Now remember, Jochebed is Moses' mama. Moses is the one that writes the commandments. Moses is the one that writes all of these different things. The Judaism had not formed under its its laws it had not had all of its different things it wasn't completely formed and so here is his mama is still even in pre-mosaic Jerusalem all of that stuff worship his mama is named God is glory Yahweh is glory and Jochebed sits there and she is there and Pharaoh is the evil dictator and he is afraid of the Israelites and plots and kills to kill the babies. That every baby boy that comes out to chunk them in the river and have them drown. I mean, how, how horrible, how horrible of a scenario is that? And then she conceives under that situation. Can you imagine when she looked at that pregnancy test, understanding what was going on? She's sitting there looking at it and it's got a pink plus on it. She ain't jumping up and down. What kind of world? This ain't any kind of world to bring a baby into. I don't even know if the baby's going to be able to make it. Pet. Oh, I hope it's a girl. I hope it's a girl. Lord, let it be a girl. 
The girls are living. Man, can you imagine what's going on in Jochebed's mind? With what's happening in her country where she's living, where she has no control over it. And now she's pregnant. She goes through nine months of turmoil. Nine months of, of, of going through this. And gives birth and it's a boy. <sighs> she's excited. She's scared. She's got tears of joy and tears of just total <clears throat> terror coming down her face. And then she kicks into gear. Mama steps on the scene. And through the sequence of the different things that we see that Jochebed do, that ends up preserving Israel's deliverer, that ends up preserving the one that's going to lead Israel out, then we see through watching Jochebed, and we look at this, at this mama, that we can learn a lot about the father heart of God through lo looking at the loving actions of this mother. She, uh, she is such an incredible example <clears throat> of the father heart of God in looking at mama. First off, we look at when we look at verses 2 through 4, we see that God protects his children. One of the wonderful things about being part of the, in the kingdom of God is God, God protects us. There, there's this place of protection that, that God is, will come on, on our behalf and that we can step into. We see her there and she's risking her own life by hiding this child. And then she strategically weaves a basket, covers it in tar. She wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty. Tar's no not fun thing to mess with. You know, and then you watch the, uh, you know, the Prince of Egypt. You know, and you have the beginning sequence of the Prince of Egypt. And if you've seen it, it, it makes for a lot of drama. It's real neat as the little baby Moses is, is launched. And it just floats down and you have it bumping into ships and hippopotamuses knocking it around and it's all crazy and it's floating and floating. That's not what happened. She was not that willy-nilly with it. If you read the story, it says she places it among the reeds. She put it in the river, but she placed it in a place where it wasn't going to float away. She strategically put it to where Pharaoh's daughter goes and bathes. Her part of the river where she goes and bathes, she put it there and stuck it among the reeds. It wasn't going to float away. And then her daughter stood. Whoop, almost fell. Her daughter stood there and watched from a distance. She didn't follow from a distance. She stood there and watched from a distance. She strategically placed it where she knew the right people we're going to trip across her. The, the Prince of Egypt makes for a great sequence and it's fun to watch. But Moses did not float around. You know, she did not just stick him in the river and say, Oh Lord, I hope something good happens to him. No, she was strategic about it. She was protecting him. She, that was her plan was that the right people were going to come upon him. <clears throat> she, was, she protected her son. The... Um, in this, a lot of times the God's protection is, doesn't always feel like protection. That little baby Moses, 
When they pulled him up out of that deal, the Bible says he was crying. He didn't feel protected in there. He's in a basket in the water. It's closed. He was probably hot and stuffy. He wasn't in his mama's arms, but that was the safest place for him to be. A lot of times as we're going, as we're serving God, God is asking us to step out and we're always in his protection. But sometimes it just doesn't feel very protected. And that's where we have to trust in the heart of God. That as we step out and say, God, okay. Because sometimes what we call protection is actually danger. And what God set, calls protection, it makes us feel a little, a little nervous. And... Um, when we uh, um, were on our trip, we went to uh, this cool place outside of Augusta. And uh, <clears throat> we went to, uh, they had this, all this science stuff, and you could basically be in the middle of these cool science experiments. And so they had these, um, you know, we had the little chair that you can spin around in and pull your arms in, and you spin real fast, and then, you know, feel sick to your stomach, you know, lots of fun. And uh, they had all these cool things, these swings that were connected together and you felt how things worked together. We just had a blast there. Well, the, one of the coolest things was is this high wire bike. And it was this bike that was up on this, on this little track, a little bitty thin track. And you rode around it and it rode on this little track. And so, but the cool thing was is it had cantilevered weights beneath it so you couldn't tip that thing over if you wanted to. It was completely safe. And so you'd get there, they put the kids on there and seatbelt them in, and it had a little safety net. And the kids would ride around. We've got pictures of them riding around. And it looked so freaky because you just get them up against the sky and you see them on that little rail. And like, oh my gosh, what were they doing? And, uh, but it was fine. But, uh, man, <clears throat> was it Brooklyn? Man, Brooklyn... She wouldn't get on that thing for nothing. She would not because it just didn't look safe. You could demonstrate it and demonstrate it and demonstrate it and it just didn't look safe. Finally, we forced her to do it. I don't know if that was a good idea or not. She ended up enjoying it, but uh, we forced her to do it, but it just didn't look safe. But it was completely safe. Everything was built in for safety everything was there a lot of times being vulnerable with god doesn't feel it's it doesn't feel safe but really opening yourself up to god and letting him know what's going on and leaning on him in your times of trouble that's the safest place that you can be it may not feel safe at the time but man i'm telling you trusting in god is the safest place that you can be there were early Native American tribes that as a man was, well, a boy was coming up and shifting to be a man, and it was about 13 years old, that they would sit there and they had been teaching him to hunt, they'd been teaching him to scout, they'd been teaching him to do all of these different things. And his final trial, his final thing where they shifted and began to recognize him as a young man, is they would blindfold him and they would carry him miles from camp at night and they would make him spend a night by himself in the middle of the in the middle of the woods and uh he had never been alone in the woods of course the, there's all sorts of creatures there's all sorts of things that can go on and so they take 
this 13-year-old boy, and he's never been away from the tribe, and they take him out, and they set him out there in the middle of this deal, blindfold him, pitch black dark, and leave him out there. He sits out there all night long, every little creek, every little thing. You ever been when it's pitch black, and you're just a little bit creeped out, and you hear everything? You have like supersonic hearing, and I'm telling you, you can just, you hear everything. And uh, you just know that's what was going on with these guys. The deal is, is as they go along, they stay there, they're, they're being freaked out, they're being scared. But then at daybreak, they look up, and they've actually, they're not in a thick wood. They're in an open meadow, and they look over, and just a few steps away is... <laughs> Is their dad with a bow. And he was there all he was there all night. He was there all night. And they do that test to prove to the young man that he can do more than he thinks he can do. He can handle more than he thinks he can handle. But at the same time, he's not ever gonna have to really do it alone. That the part of the tribe is gonna be there, daddy's gonna be there. <clears throat> As as we push forward with God, sometimes in the middle of the darkness, things are creeping us out. Things are freaking us out. We don't know exactly what things are happening. But I'm telling you, God is always there. And when the light comes and the, the pressure begins to relieve, that's so many times when we can look and say, wow, you, you were. You were there the whole time. So many times in hindsight, we can see God being with us when we don't feel it in the middle. That's why we have to remind ourselves in the middle of it to know, I may not feel it, but he is here. He is walking with me through this. I am not alone in this. I don't care how alone I feel. The word of God tells me that he is with me. And that is, that is just the case. God is with me. Psalms 41.2 says the Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. John 17.15 says my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, we see Paul writing says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And John, Jesus is praying it. And in, in Thessalonians, Paul is confirming it, that God will protect us. There's a fantastic story of D.L. Moody, who's one of the greatest soul winners of the, the previous century. And uh, his song leader was a man... Uh, named <clears throat> Ira Sankley. And Ira Sankley in uh, um, 1875 was, uh, was Christmas Eve of 1875, was on a steamboat. And they had, because of D.L. Moody's notoriety, he had had some notoriety of his own and people began to recognize who he was. He was there on the deck of the steamboat and somebody asked him, please sing one of your hymns. Please sing one of your hymns. And he didn't like, he didn't like to sing his own hymns. He said, well, I, I won't sing one of my hymns, but I'll, I'll, I'll sing one of my favorite hymns. <clears throat> and I was not, I'm not familiar with the hymn, but one of the verses is, and he begins to sing it, and he gets to this verse. It says, we are thine, do thou befriend us, 
be the guardian be the guardian who is with us and uh, as he is singing this as he is singing this song this man in the crowd stops him and says were you part of the Union Army in the Civil War he says Ira says yeah I was I served in the I served in the Union Army and he said do you happen to remember if you were on <clears throat> picket duty during a way moonlit evening in 1962 and he says yeah I, I, I remember I, I, I did picket duty on a on a very bright moonlight night and he said I was in the Confederate Army and he said I was on the other side of that battle line he said and I sit there and I saw you come out doing your duty and he said and I told myself he said this guy's not he's not getting away I'm 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 gonna take this guy out and so he gets Ira in his sights and he says just before he starts to pull the trigger Ira starts to sing throws his hands up and begins to sing that exact same hymn and sings that he says that he remembered that verse we are thou thine do thou befriend us <clears throat> be the guardian who is with us and he said and that is he sang that song he said he said that was one of my mama's favorite hymns he said and at there he said you sitting there and singing that he said he said there was no way that I that I could shoot you he says there's no way I could do that he said that you know is that was my mama's favorite hymn he said and I just put my gun down and walked away and uh, <clears throat> and it's amazing how the effect of what a mama puts in the sit there the good things the the <clears throat> we, we look at Timothy and Paul says Paul doesn't mention dad and dads do a lot of great things a lot of great dads in the Bible but when Paul's talking to Timothy he talks to Timothy about Timothy's mama's faith and his grandmama's faith he says that that faith that is also now in you it is amazing the transfer that takes place just in the in the little singing around the house and the the praying at night and the scriptures that go over and the the dragging them to church when they don't feel like going to church and all those different things that just get instilled in the heart of children it is so worth that mamas I don't know, some of you may have had a fight this morning trying to get to this location and trying to get your kids to church and maybe they were fighting and fussing over it. But I'm telling you, it is not fruitless. It is not fruitless. The Bible says, train up a child in the way it should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. You are doing a great, great work. We also see in verses 8 and 9, That, that God is a nurturing God, that God nurtures his children. Here, Jochebed said there in verse 8, <clears throat> says, Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. <clears throat> and so she took the baby and nursed him. She was there being able to care for
for her own child and getting paid to do it. I mean, what an incredible turnaround. He goes from being in danger to now she gets to care for him take care of him and, and get paid to do it. She gets to sit there and to, 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 to coddle him and train him and teach him his heritage and, and, and make sure he grows and does everything he's supposed to do. There was a great preacher that asked and said, who's greater, Thomas Edison or his mother? Of course, Thomas Edison invented all sorts of wonderful things that we're still enjoying today. I mean, the, just even the fluorescent light bulbs have their root in the incandescent light bulbs and, and all of the fact that we have pictures portrayed electronically. I mean, so many of the, just the concepts that we enjoy today, he pioneered. I mean, just an incredible man. You don't know much about his mother other than this, the fact that when Thomas Edison was in school, that one of his teachers had, was having trouble keeping him focused and keeping him going in class. And she actually wrote a note back to Mrs. Edison and says, <clears throat> says, your child is dumb and we can't do anything for him. Mrs. Edison wrote a note back and said, you don't understand my boy. I will teach him myself. And she pulled him out of the school that didn't understand. She sacrificed. She taught him herself. And the rest of that is history. Thomas Edison's mama believed in him. Thomas Edison's mama wasn't going to let anybody speak down on her boy or limit his destiny. Thomas Edison's mama. <clears throat> those are the, every achievement that he made, he was standing on his mama's shoulders making those achievements. Luke chapter 10 verses, <clears throat> verse 34 says, he went to him with bandaged wounds. We're talking about nurturing. This is the story of the good Samaritan, that God is a nurturer. It says he went to him <clears throat> and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, <clears throat> and he took him to an inn and took care of him. There's something that lets us know and something that helps us trust. Something that helps us believe in somebody. We know they're going to care for us. And we know that, that, that they will nurture us. <clears throat> Calvin Coolidge was one of the least charismatic presidents we have. Probably the least charismatic president that has ever existed. And um, anyways, but uh, um, Anne Morrill... Um, Lindbergh, who married Charles Lindbergh, when she was a child, her dad was involved in politics and involved in a lot of things. And she, he, they had a party and invited Calvin Coolidge pre-presidential days. And there they have the party and all that's going on. And her dad, after the party is, is winding down, Calvin Coolidge is one of the first ones to leave. He wasn't a big partier. And uh, everybody is hanging out talking and her dad pops up and pipes up and says, I think that Calvin Coolidge would make a great president. 
everybody begins to to kind of naysay and they don't really agree with mr morrow and that that he would make a great president said he's too quiet he's too reserved nobody's gonna like him nobody's gonna want to vote for him he's not gonna be able to give the speeches he's not gonna be able to do all these things he's just he's just not electable and uh <laughs> little ann uh was six years old at the time and she pipes up and uh she showed everybody a bandage on her finger and she says, I think that Mr. Coolidge would make a great president because he's the only one that cared about my sore finger. And so <clears throat> when somebody's willing to give us nurture, when somebody's willing to give us care, when somebody's willing to sit there, it automatically instills trust. God sits there and one of the ways that God sits there and builds our trust is we allow him to, to nurture and to pour into our lives. One of the things we're told in John 10 verses 14 through 15, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Today, we read Psalm 23. If you've done your reading already on our, as we're going through, we read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What a beautiful song showing about the provision, the protecting, the nurturing. He makes me to lay down and leads me in a, I'm getting it all tongue tangled. He leads us to blessed places. God is so good. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all on your anxiety or your burdens onto him because he cares for you. God cares for us. Just like Jochebed made sure that, that Moses was in the right place and receiving the right care, God cares about our lives. And we have to remember that always, always. One of the first things when the, Jesus with the disciples and the storm's coming and everything's rolling, he's been asleep Jesus wasn't anxious about it at all, wasn't concerned about it at all. Finally, they freaked out. Now, these are experienced sailors. This isn't me out in a boat on a windy day. I mean, it just gets rocking a little bit, and I'm going to be freaking out. These guys were experienced sailors. And it gets blowing. It's way beyond their control. And they wake Jesus up, and the first thing they say is, Do you not care? So many times when things aren't going exactly right, this is where, when we're questioning God's protection, we step back and we actually question his caring. Does God, do you even care? Do you not care that I'm going through this? Do you not care? Jesus goes through there and when, in uh, John 10, saying that he is the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for the sheep. The Israelites were shepherds. They understood that because there was no shepherd was going to die to protect the sheep. The sheep were there to serve them. The sheep were there to, to do that. I mean, they were going to beat the wolves off because they were their sheep. They were going to stand in there and protect them. But when it came, push came to shove, there wasn't any shepherd going to throw himself in front of a wolf 
so that a sheep could run away safely and die on behalf of the sheep. But Jesus takes the shepherding thing to a whole new level. It says, I lay down my life for the sheep. As God's children, we do not lack any good thing. God is such a wonderful provider. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Philemon 3.6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. God has given us so much. He is, God cares about us. We matter to him. And then the last thing we understand there from Jochebed, and this is really one of the most impressive things of Jochebed in this story. I mean, it's awesome that she hid her son. It's awesome that she was that industrious and that creative to, to plant him in a place where he would be found and hopefully embraced and loved but here's an incredible thing because this a lot of times can be really tough a really tough place on a mama let's look at verse 10 it says when the child grew older she took him to pharaoh's daughter and he became her son wow what an amazing concept she had protected him she had nurtured him she had fed him, but the best thing for Moses was to, for, him, for it to shift and become the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And she guided that little child, however old he was, two, three years old, and passed that little chubby hand from hers and Pharaoh's daughter, and she guided him into his destiny she guided him into where he needed to be god also guides us god guides his children we look at the story and there are so many moms who intervened we look at uh <clears throat> rachel with jacob there <clears throat> there that uh it was time for isaac to pass on the blessing and man, it's a, it's a little bit of a underhanded deal. I mean, it's a little bit of a dirty thing that looks like on the shirt. You know, it's, she, she's, she's coaching. Rachel is coaching Jacob and saying, look, go put on your brother's smelly clothes so you'll smell like him. Let's get some, some kill, a, kill a goat and put that on there because he's hairy and then you'll be hairy like him and we're going to cook this up and then you're going to pass yourself off as your brother and he's going to give you the blessing. And she guided him in to that blessing. Solomon ended up with the, with the throne because Bathsheba guided him into the throne. His mama went and ran interference with David, went and when it looked like that all of a sudden somebody else was going to hijack it, she took it, she coached Solomon on what he needed to do and what he needed to say whenever he would came before David, whenever all of the transitions. Bathsheba, she guided him into good. That's one of the things God guides, just like a mama. Man, I love it when I sit there and Cutie is sitting there and kids start to get off course a little bit and whoop, 
She just pull them back in. Say, you're not going to talk like that. You're not going to act like that. You're not going to have that attitude. This is what we're going to do. This is how Clarks act. This is how Clarks do. It's how you do as a child of God and guide them back in to where they're supposed to be. That's what moms do. We're so thankful for the guidance of mothers in this world. But we also see there's a biblical example of, of, of a negative guidance because the mama has that power to guide. And it can be wielded for good or it can be wielded for evil. There was a young lady that God invited to dance before Herod. And man, that must have been some kind of dance. And because when it was all said and done, he said, look, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And I don't know what kind of dance can make some guy want to give up half his kingdom. And that was some kind of dance. And uh, so and he's like, I'll give you anything you ask up to half my kingdom. And she goes back and asks who? Mama. Mama. What should I ask for? And mom was a woman scorned. She was ticked off because a guy named John the Baptist had rebuked publicly that, that Herodias, the mom, and Herod should not be together. And she was ticked off. And out of everything, up to half the kingdom, she coaches her daughter and says, this is where I want you to do. I want you to ask for John's head on a platter. I want you to ask for his life. I want you to ask. And I'm, God, and how just grotesque is that? I mean, it's one thing to have him executed and I don't want to see it. No, I want proof. I want to be able to look in that face and say, that's the face that insulted me. My goodness. We have to watch out. And mamas and, and parents and everybody who's guiding, we have to make sure because the things that irritate us, the things that make us mad, they're going to, they're going to bend the way we coach and we train. We have to make sure that we stay in a place of forgiveness. We have to make sure that we stay in a place pure before God because those biases, those, those offenses, those things, they can find their way in as we are guiding. But God is awesome. God guides his children. Exodus fifteen thirteen says, In your unfailing love, You will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Psalm 48, 14 says, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own and he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And that's why we so have to embrace the, the, the ministry and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is the voice that is guiding us. That is God guiding us into all truth as we're studying the scriptures, as we're making decisions, as we're, as we're being parents, as we're, as we're just being who God has called us to be. We have to be hungry for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is the, that is the guiding voice in our lives. God guides his children and uses the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. 
As God is guiding us, he is taking each of us forward with him. God's taking each of us forward. He's moving each of us further and further and becoming more and more Christ-like with every step that we take. But we can only move forward by taking steps. They can be baby steps, they can be large steps, they can be huge leaps. But we only move forward as we take steps. And as we are moving forward, a lot of times it's more of a, of a dance than a march. If you notice your relationship with God will end up having a little bit of rhythm to it. It will end up having a little bit of flow to it. And it's not so much just marching orders as it is as God is leading and guiding. And in this, we have to let God lead. You have to allow God to lead. So many times when we say, God, I want to go here, take me there. God is not our cab driver. <laughs> that's not, the, that's not the, the kind of taking and leading that he is. He's not our cab driver. He's not our chauffeur. God is. He's our commander. He is guiding us and he is leading us. And we have to let him lead and go with him. As he's going, because he, God protects and he cares for us. He nurtures us. Why would we not want to let him guide our lives? He's got only good in store for us. Well, as we are uh, wrapping this up, I I want to uh, make it available. That uh, if for some reason, if you're here today and you are needing to get a relationship with God going. If you, haven't, if you don't have a relationship,